You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 8, verse 16. Verse 16 is where we continue our studies with the plagues. This is part two. We're going to try to do five tonight. We're going to do 18, verse 18 of chapter 8, all the way through chapter 9. And these plagues are the mighty acts of God. Um, so that there's a typical phrase in these verses, and we're going to hear a lot of more thematic things and get it, pay attention to, that all would know that he is God. He's going to say that over and over and over again. They're a, a direct attack against the false gods and idols of Egypt. Exodus 12, 12 tells us this. Uh, Numbers 33, verse 4 tells us this. We sort of talked about that last week. And through these plays, God was preparing. Um, he was proving that he was the one and only true God, Yahweh, the great I am. And God is not just dealing with false gods um, and dealing with them and the people of the land, but he's also judging the people in their sin. Now, Warren Wiersbe said this is in this section about the plagues. God is gracious and long-suffering, but there comes a time when he will no longer tolerate the disobedience and arrogance of defiant sinners. And this is what we're seeing here, that God is dealing not only with these idols and false gods, but the, those that would worship these false idols. These plagues is an act of God judging sin, and we need to understand and embrace this part of God's character as well. He is righteous, and he will judge the living and the dead. All sin, he will make every wrong right. In fact, if we look at the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, he says the time of arrogance or ignorance uh, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, meaning to turn, to change their mind, to come to him because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness and by a man whom he has appointed. We know that man is Christ Jesus. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We will all give an account to God, the Bible says, and Jesus will judge the living and the dead. He will make every wrong right as he rules and reign in righteousness. And these plagues should remind us of this truth that we as God's people, as the world, we all need to repent. We all need to go to him and have our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ and his gospel. And the only way that we can have uh, salvation is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we are going to see that depending on our response to God and his gospel and his good news of what he declares through his word will determine if we love his appearing or if we hate his appearing and judgment. Because when we repent, when we turn to God, the Bible tells us that we find forgiveness. We find redemption. And this is what the book of Exodus is all about. It's a picture of deliverance and redemption. You see, when we rebel, we actually find forgiveness, not judgment and death, but life, eternal life in our Lord. But how will we respond? Psalm 18, 25 through 26 say this, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful, speaking of God. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. And with the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seen torturous. How do you go to God? Are you having a soft heart towards the Lord or a hard heart like Pharaoh? 
we see these characters, Moses and Pharaoh, really battling. And you have to understand that your faith matters. It pleases God for you to have faith in what he says, and it pleases God for you to repent. He desires that no one would come to judgment, but he will rule and reign in righteousness. And this is why we are warned over and over and over again, not just through these plagues, but through all of Scripture, to repent and to worship him alone for forgiveness of life, to receive his love and his mercy. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so as we look at these themes and cover these plagues, let us go to God and ask, God, would you soften our hearts? Let us repent of the sin that we so easily get tangled up in, the Bible says. Let us continue to turn to him and see that he does judge in righteousness, but he took that judgment on the cross for us if we would receive that. Let's pray now as we go through the plagues. Jesus, we just pray that you would continue to teach us, that you would continue to speak through me, Lord. Thank you, God, so much just for your living word. I pray that it would be active tonight. I pray that you would speak to your people and that you would use this message for your glory. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, we're gonna go through it fast because there's a lot of text, but you have your Bibles. You can read along. Uh, the first, or plague number three, gnats. Plague number three, Nats, verses 16 through 19 in the book of Exodus. I'm going to read the whole thing as we go along. I won't go too fast, but I, at the same time, can't go too deep. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that I may become Nats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on, the, on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And you know that's rough because it's a desert, folks. The magicians, they tried their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, so far, we've gone through two plagues, sort of the contrast of big sin, little sin, and all sin, how God judges it, that God turned water into uh, blood, and he sent frogs. Uh, these things that would bring life, he's saying, no, I'm the only one that brings life. And now we see he's bringing this third plague, gnats. Now, if you have a New King James Version or different translations, it may say lice. Uh, some scholars even think that it could have been mosquitoes. Now, regardless of what small and annoying bug it was, just imagine no seams everywhere. How terrible would that be, right? Just to put in frame of what's happening. Gnats, mosquitoes, lice, no seams. These bugs coming and creeping on you. This would not just be an annoying thing, but bugs would be a direct attack and impact on Egyptian worship system in the day of how they worshiped. You see, verse 16 tells us that Aaron stretched out his staff to the dust, and the dust became gnats. David Guzik said about this section, the Egyptian priesthood was extremely careful about hygiene and ritual cleaning. An infection of gnats made them unable to worship their gods. This is a direct impact about these magicians or some, uh, we've read these magicians, priests, these people of the secret arts to get them unclean, to stop their worship services. Verse 17 says that they went on every man 
and every beast. All men, all beast. So this infection, uh, infestation really of these gnats uh, prevented them to sacrifice not only because they were unclean, but because these gnats were also on the animals as well. And the Egyptians at the time believed that gods would not receive a lice-infected animal or gnats or unclean animals in their worship. So God is going straight now after the priest and the worship practice of the nation through bugs. That's just crazy. But as you know the history, as you study it, basically he's saying your gods, your priest, your magic, and your whole system is false. I know that you've been trying to worship God and you have favor with God, but you're going to a false God, and I'm going to take that out so you know that I am the living God. And you know what? This needs to be said today as well. There is a wrong and right way to worship the almighty living God. All houses of worship are not the same. And you know what? Truth is not relative. We're learning in this in this class. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus would say, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We can't just worship God any way that we want to with our own definitions and us defining the truth as the Egyptians were back then. God says, no, I don't want that. Jesus came and said, I'm coming to show you the Father, that, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you've seen me, Thomas, you've seen the Father. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. There are not all roads leading to heaven. There is truth. There is lies. And in this plague, we see the truth highlighted as verse 18 says, the magicians, well, they couldn't produce these gnats. Now, this is significant because the devil had an impact and was mimicking. Remember, God creates uh, Satan counterfeits. The devil was mimicking some of these things of God from turning water into blood and the frogs coming. Okay, But in verse 19, these magicians, they could not produce the gnats. And they actually say, no, 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 this is the finger of God. Meaning they are declaring and they're recognizing Yahweh is greater than their God in this moment because they could not do it. There is a higher power. His name is the Lord, and he deserves all of your worship. And from there on out, um, they wouldn't be able to mimic the plagues because they're going to get worse and worse and worse. And this should encourage us because it shows us that as great as Satan has power, and he does, he is our adversary, our great enemy. He's limited. He's no match to the living King Jesus. And so we don't need to fear in Jesus' name. We need to uh, have victory in Jesus' name. But what we see is, again, Pharaoh would not listen to the Lord because acknowledging God does not mean the same as repenting. Acknowledging God does not mean the same as repenting and having a saving faith like James 2.19 would tell us. And so God is going to send more insects. That's right, more bugs. Didn't think it was a horror story, did you? Well, plague number four, the flies come in. Bad pun. It's coming. You ready? Is he the Lord of the flies? I just thought about it. It's not in my notes. Verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. As he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. 
that they may serve me. Remember, our purpose is to glorify God, to serve God. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, 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 where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Why does he do this? Because he wants people to know that he is the Lord. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses, verse 25, and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. We'll get to that later. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they uh, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us, because there is a way that God tells us to worship. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord, your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, behold, I am going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. That's another miracle. That swarms of flies would come and they would go. But Pharaoh, in verse 32, hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Plague number four, the flies. Now, this is the first plague that there is a distinction between the effects on the people of Egypt and the Israelites. Verse 22. This is crazy because you have so many swarms of flies. It's like when you don't want a fly to go in your house, it goes in your house. You really can't control where they go. But God can control them. And in uh, Goshen, where all of primarily the Israelites lived, there were no flies. Can you imagine how annoying that would be to the Egyptians? How obvious it would be to the Egyptians? Verse 23, God tells us that he wanted to make a specific division between his people and Pharaoh's people that worship false gods. And there definitely should be a distinction between a believer and a non-believer. God's people are to be set apart to walk in holiness, bearing fruits of uh, righteousness. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. God wants us to be set apart for his glory. But the way that he does this is through his word and by the work of his spirit. He transforms our hearts by his grace and does this work where we respond to his love. Jesus said this, that if you love me, you'll obey me. So when God gives us his love, 
we love and respond back. The Bible says we love because he first loves us. This is how he distinctively sets us apart. He does a work of snatching us from darkness into light. And now because he's given us his spirit, he transforms us daily in a process called sanctification, where we become more and more like Christ or set apart or what the Bible says, holy. And there will be a day when we will be completely holy called glorification in heaven. But right now it's a battle where we have to walk and we have to bear fruit and go and submit to the Lord and bear his good fruit in our lives. And now this distinction is a picture of salvation and judgment. And you look at it, it's the first time that there's God's people and the Egyptians and there's a plague or judgment, but yet God's people are not getting harmed. As God's people, we're protected from his wrath. The Bible tells us this, the, the, and this truth holds true to all of us today, not just for the Israelites. Uh, one commentator said, theologically, uh, we know when we are in Christ, we will not face God's wrath. We are hidden in him. First Thessalonians 1.10 says that Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you just so blessed by the good news of the gospel? Now, we have to understand, will Jesus judge? Yes, but he judges, uh, he judges his son. God judges his son, Jesus, for our sins. Another verse for you to think about clearly, because we want to see this story through the lens of the gospel, Colossians 1.13. It tells us that God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so if we're in Christ, we get an inheritance. We get blessing, not judgment. Not because of what we've done, but because we've repented, turned to God, and become a part of his family. God has done an amazing work through Jesus. He took on the wrath on the cross with this word called propitiation, 1 John 4.10 tells us. That we had a debt we couldn't pay, but God paid it, and the Lord was satisfied raising Jesus from the dead so we would not actually have to fear his coming. And the Bible says now we can love his coming. We can love his rule and reign. We can submit to him and have joy because we are fully forgiven in Christ. And this is the benefit of God's people. This is why we come and praise his name and bless him. I like what Warren Wiersbe said about this distinction, he said, often in scripture, the land of Egypt symbolizes the world system that it's pride uh, with its pride and its bondage. While the exodus of Israel from Egypt pictures the deliverance of God's people through the blood of the lamb. Just as God isn't pouring out his wrath on his people, then he will never pour out his wrath on us as well. For Jesus cried out from the cross to tell us die. It is finished. And he gives us now all spiritual blessing to those that are his, his children. We don't need to fear God. We actually go boldly before his throne and we can love him and serve him and know him. And we can enjoy his mighty acts and works. Plague five, the Egyptian livestock. Chapter nine, verses one through seven. I told you I'm going by these things quick, but we're getting through them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. 
There that pattern again is. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a severe plague upon your livestock that are in the fields, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So now God's making a distinction so that none of all that belong to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time because there is an appointed time that Jesus will come back. He said, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And then the next day the Lord did this thing because everything God says comes true. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Plague five, the Egyptian livestock. This is another plague that distinguishes God's people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians, those that are worshiping false gods, as all of their livestock of the Egyptians fell to a severe plague, it says. The Egyptians had many of their gods depicted in this livestock. If you even go now to India, you see how they worship cows, sacred cows. You would see this actually moving forward in the book of Exodus. There were many animals that they worshiped. They worshiped frogs. They worshiped these other livestock animals. And God now is taking these animals out. The Egyptians had many of their gods depicted in this livestock. And this is why, remember I said I'd get back to it in verse 26 of chapter 8. Moses told Pharaoh, hey, they can't just worship the Lord in the Egyptian land because if they were to sacrifice certain animals in the Egyptians' eyes, it would be an abomination. And the Egyptians would get so mad they would stone the Israelites. So you couldn't just get a lamb or a cow and kill it in front of the Egyptians. They'd be like, you're taking all this land. This could be a god. They would actually go crazy and it would start a great war because they worshiped these animals, not all of them, but some of them, as gods. And the Egyptians thought these sacred animals brought life. They worshiped them as beings. But in this fifth plague, they were dying. All of them, all around them. Death was everywhere. Their gods were falling. So they would be seeing, in a sense, their gods falling over and dying. And in contrast, Yahweh, the living God, would be acting and moving, displaying his power, actively taking them out and being alive. Now, it's important to see that through this plague, God is proving that he not only is superior, but he is a God that is alive, that is real. That is mighty. The idol people worshipped were dead now. But Yahweh, he remained strong and he remained alive. We must understand that we worship a God that is alive, the resurrected King Jesus. He is still working and active as we worship him. He hears our prayers. He's in our midst. He builds the church. He sees our lives and we can have a real relationship with him. Why? Because he is a God that is alive. Death could not hold him. Acts 3.15 tells us Jesus, his name is the author of life. Death could not defeat him. He rose from the grave and conquered sin, death, and our greatest enemy, the devil. He is a God that gives eternal life to people, and he is actively involved in our lives. He is not dead. 
He is not out there, some force. So much so that he gives us life by his spirit, the spirit of Christ. When we repent and turn to him, our sins are forgiven. And now the same spirit that dwells in him dwells in us. Remember Jesus would say, I'm the light of the world. But you are the light of the world because I give you my spirit. I give you life. He breathes life, pneuma, spirit inside of us. And now he is actually interceding, active at the right hand of the throne, praying for you and for me. This is not a God we just come on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or morning or during the day. We pray one time and it's over and he does nothing. He is alive. He is a person. He is active and he is mighty and he proves himself to us. Now, one commentator said this, while most of the religions of the world believe that God is an impersonal being, the God who is revealed in the Bible is a personal God. This means that he has the characteristics of a person. A person can be defined as someone who is rational, conscious of his own being, and this is how the Bible portrays God. He is a person and not an impersonal force. This is what this plague is teaching us. Or Jeremiah the prophet would later come and say, and he would proclaim this contrast in Jeremiah chapter 10 versus idols and our living God. And in verse 10 of chapter 10, he would say, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. In this plague and through Jesus' life, he displays his superiority over idols as a living God. And that living God, we can have a relationship with through the gospel, through repentance, through going to him and accepting his love and forgiveness and inviting him in. As Jesus invites those to follow him, those that are broken and heavy laden and burdened, come to me and find rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says. And if you don't know Jesus in this personal way, man, the psalmist would say, taste and see that the Lord is good experience him. Jesus himself in Revelation 3.20 would declare, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Aren't you so glad that we can have a relationship with God, a living God, a God that is active, alive. He knows everything about you. He is not far off and dead and we're gonna see him in heaven. He is alive And now he's proving that, and he proves it again through the resurrection. Exodus chapter 9, verse 8 through 12, we have this next plague. Plague 6, boils. Boils. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, that's pretty personal, isn't it? Every single plague, God's actually speaking with Moses and Aaron. Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians, well, they could not stand before Moses because of the, bo- the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them. 
as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now the Lord is hardening Pharaoh's heart because he's rejected over and over and over again. It's a part of your hardening your heart. God allows you to say, if you don't want a relationship with me, then I'll allow you not to have a relationship with me. This is why we need to make sure we're repenting and going to him and turning to him. And so boils. Man, this plague would be painful, wouldn't it? Can you just imagine real quick? Boils, I had to look it up. They're, they're pus-filled bumps under your skin, and it would hurt so bad to move if you had boils all over your skin. I mean, playing softball last week, I got a blister on my finger, and I was just a little baby from swinging a bat, had a little blister, and I was like, oh, can you imagine if those were all over your body? So much so that verse 11 tells us the magicians, they couldn't even stand up before Pharaoh or Moses. They were in serious pain and all the people of the land. It's because they were the leaders. It affected them, but it also affected people. This is why it's important to submit to godly leadership, not those that are false priests, those practicing in the occult and not what the word of God says. So all the people... They were in desperate need for healing and relief. I'm sure you've been there before. Maybe not with boils, but with healing and relief. But you know what? Their idols couldn't help them, could they? Too often when we need help and relief, our idols can't help us. The God of money and the God of medicine sometimes can't help us. The God of our family. The God of zoning out watching TV, whatever it may be for your healing and your relief, it will fail because only God gives the ultimate healing. In fact, this plague would be a direct attack against the false gods of healing because if you notice this practice of going in the kiln and getting the dust and spreading it out, uh, commentators say that was actually a practice of these priests or magicians. This is actually how they brought blessing upon people. Listen to this. The plagues of the boils were intended, in, uh, initiated in the face of the magicians who apparently performed their um, miracles through this sort of act. It was customary for the priest to throw these ashes into the air for blessings. But this plague was an attack on all the false gods of Egypt and trusting in these gods of healings. And so rather than healing, they had pain. Now, in our day, medicine is a wonderful tool, but it's not God. It's not God. We need to make sure that we're putting our trust in God and not medicine. Now, what what does this mean? Do I believe that doctors and medicine are bad? No, absolutely not. God has given us medicine, given us doctors, given us, you know, when we pray for an operation, that they would have skill, uh, you know, wisdom, discernment, find all that stuff. What I'm saying for us is, is what is our trust in? A doctor giving us a diagnosis and putting all of our eggs in that basket? Or do we go to God with that problem? Because he is greater than anything that we can trust in. We need to make sure that we're diligent going to God because he is the ultimate healer. And we need to run to him and trust him with all of our ailments. Psalm 103, 2 through 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all of your iniquity and who heals all of your diseases. Listen, I would encourage you all that as you get sick and as you get ill 
or even grow and deal with pain to run to God. Doesn't mean neglect medicine, doesn't mean don't go to doctors. But God will give you strength and he will he can heal. And he will heal all Christians, whether it be immediate or later. He's the great healer, the God that heals. One of the practices of the church is actually to pray for those that are sick. Now, many of you, I brought it in my bag. I have it in my bag or my pocket usually. Many of you guys don't know, but um, this little bottle is anointing oil. And I usually carry this in my pocket whenever we gather. Service, Friday night, it's just with me. It's in my bag. And one of the reasons why is because James 5.14 tells us, if anyone is among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I always have this anointing oil as an elder, as a pastor, to pray for people so that way they can build their faith and trust God in the situation, not just doctors or medicine or a circumstance. Does God heal every time? No. But he wants us to go to him by faith. And he does heal. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with going to a personal good God and asking to pour out his grace and favor and healing upon our lives. And we've seen people get healed. And we've seen people die and get healed, a glorified body, and be in the presence of the Lord. God is the ultimate healer, and we need to go to him for that relief. And what the people were doing is worshiping these idols that were going to give them healing. And now he's saying, that is not what I want you to practice. I want you to go to me. And so you get prayer, and then go to your doctor appointment. And however the Lord wants to heal you through a doctor, through a miraculous event, through whatever recovery it may be, because he will heal us all because he's the ultimate healer and the author of life that is able to restore us and redeem us, and we trust in that. We can go to him because he cares for us. Don't ever feel bad to ask for him to heal you or to, to give you relief from pain. Plague number seven, the last one we'll cover tonight, hail. I realize that I say hail, wrong, and that's okay. My wife was trying to correct me. She's like, how do you say that? Hail? I just say hail. Some words I just have accents to. I don't know where I got the accent from, but I'm, I'm claiming it, all right? My dad's from the South. Maybe it was him. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13 through 35. It's the rest of the chapter, and we'll finish here. We're almost done. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Why? That they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, uh, on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. He's doing this for a reason. For by now I could have put you out of my hand and struck you uh, and your people with pestilence. My dad would say, my, he, they, he could have just made him a french fry. It would have been done, been over with. And you would have been cut off from the earth, taken out. But, verse 16 says, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and you will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall from such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, 
Sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is brought uh, is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. It matters if you listen to God's word or not. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field and in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff, the thing that God gave him in his hand to be used by the Lord toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Therefore, uh, or in verse 20, there uh, was hell and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hell, very heavy hell, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hell struck down everything that was in the field and all of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hell struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree in the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hell. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time, well, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. That is a very accurate statement. Amen. Plead with the Lord, for there there has been enough of God's thunder in hell, and I will let you go, and you shall no longer, or you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord and the thunder will cease and there will be no more hell so that you may know that the Lord is the, uh, so that the earth is the Lord's. But as far as you and your servants, Moses says, I know that you do not fear the Lord. And the flax and the barley were struck down. For the barley was in the ear and the flax was in a bud. This is trying to give you a season, a time, saying it's a a certain time. Remember, these plagues came over time. It just wasn't one day after another after another. But the wheat of the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming, uh, coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. What another gracious act of mercy from God. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart and he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Hail, plague number seven. This plague really displays God as God as creator. Uh, Creation, uh, he's over creation, and he made hail and fire come down from the sky. Verse 24 says, like Egyptian had never experienced anything like this. God was pouring down his wrath in this unusual way so people would notice him and turn to him. Verse 16, it says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name be proclaimed in all the earth. Haven't you heard that over and over and over again? God not only wanted to get the Egyptians' attention, but the whole earth's attention. That's why he would call his 
people, the Israelites, to be a people, to walk in sanctification so the nations would be saved and know that he is a God of all nations. And so as he's pouring out his wrath, he continue warn, continually warns people to repent. Like how many times do you have to warn Pharaoh and all these servants? And this plague highlights his merciful warning again as he tells people to get out of the way, to go and find shelter, find safety. In verse 19, he declares, is this going to happen? You need to respond to my word and obey and act. And verses 20 and 21 tell us that those that feared the Lord, they listened and obeyed to his, obeyed his word and they found safety. But those that didn't pay attention to his word remained outside and they were unsafe. Now, verse 15 tells us that God could have just wiped them out. He could have just done it in one little plague or two and then been done. But he was pouring out his wrath systematically and slowly through these plagues because he's a God of second chances. He's a merciful God. In fact, the Bible says he's slow to anger. He would reveal this later on to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 8, as he would go by Moses declaring who he was in his character. He said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now you would think by now people would actually listen to his warnings and Pharaoh would repent. But no, a hardness of heart. Verse 17 says that Pharaoh was still exalting himself, meaning he was playing the role of God and he didn't want to submit to God. He was full of pride. And this is why the judgment of God and the wrath of God was coming upon them. And verse 30 teaches us again that, that empty words don't count as repentance. Moses sort of gets the cue by now. And he's like, I know you don't fear God. Because God told me this would not take place unless all these plagues would, would happen. He's already warned me. I'm going to listen to his heed. I'm going to take this thunder, this hail and fire away and ask God to remove it. But you just want a consequence. You don't actually want God. And notice how those who feared the Lord and his people, they listened to God's word and they were safe. Verse 26 tells us that only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. And God's people didn't experience the plague and the wrath that was crazy and unusual. Now, I think this is a good illustration of the great wrath that is to come during the great tribulation described in Revelation. It's hard not to think about the final judgment and revelation is God will pour out his wrath on all the earth one last time before he finally returns. As you go through all of these things, but it's unusual because there's hell and there's fire. And in revelation, there is a series of judgments, God's wrath known as the end of the age being poured out on humanity and the earth. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, and then seven bowls. And in revelation chapter eight, verse seven, it says this, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hell and fire. It was mixed with blood, and there were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. It was another act of judgment of God, so people would know that he was God. And God is pouring out his wrath in the great tribulation, and then you just see it get worse and worse and worse, just like these plagues. 
But it is for a reason. It's a reason in Exodus and it's a reason in Revelation. It was so that people would repent and listen to his word. That they would come to the author of life and find forgiveness. Even then, he will give second chances. You see, just as God's people were in Goshen and didn't experience this judgment, I believe the people of God will be raptured up and, and be in heaven with the Lord during the final tribulation and not touched by the wrath of God. But just like these plagues, which verse 31 and 32 should tell us it were over a period of time, God will pour out his wrath systematically, on purpose, slowly but surely, again, over and over again, to give people during this great tribulation a time to repent. Did you notice how the Egyptians could repent there? Goshen, they were already safe. But the people of, in Egypt, he said, hey, if you want to obey, if you want to find safety, take your livestock, get out of the field, it's coming. But yet the hardness of heart and sinful of man, because even in the last days it says that people will curse God and not repent just as Pharaoh curses God and doesn't repent. Why? Because they want to exalt themselves. Because they want to live in pride. But thank God that we're saved from this final judgment and from this wrath. Not by trying to be better and exalting ourselves, but humbling ourselves and accepting God's forgiveness and what he's done for us. And so as we stop here tonight, we'll finish next week, chapter 10 and 11. I know these plagues, it's a big section, but I'm trying to go a little bit quicker as I can. I could take one plague per message, but man, we got five plagues tonight. Pretty crazy. But hey, as we stop here with plague seven, let's thank God for his mercy. Let's examine our hearts and let's repent. The Bible says when we gather together to remember God's grace and remember his healing, he's a God of second chances that he forgives and he loves us. And he displayed that love on the cross for our sins. Sending his son. God loved the world that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And three days later after his death, he rose again and he gives us life. And this is, what, this is why we're here. This is, he gathers his church. He saves us. And we should be a people that praise his name and put our trust in him alone. Not in our own efforts, not hardening our hearts like Pharaoh, but just enjoying the goodness of God. And may we say, Jesus, come quickly. May we long for his appearing and may that longing and love cause us to walk in holiness as well. Let's pray and we'll respond by singing a song and taking communion together. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for just being able to go through text. I know it's a lot, but Holy Spirit, I just ask for whatever you wanted to teach your people tonight and through this message, God, that it would stick and land and that they would be able to apply it. And Lord, as we respond even right now, that we would just declare there are no other gods beside you. Lord, that we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you rose again. You are God that is alive, that you are working in our midst, that you care about us, you love us. And we want to just respond now in worship. We want to remember and be grateful and thankful that you shed your blood for us, that your body was broken for us, that we can come to you with every a thing that we have, our sin, our, our ailments, our, our burdens, our anxieties. Lord, we just love how you are our God. And so may we remain steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that we do not labor in vain and that when you come back, Lord, we will see judgment, but it will be a different judgment. It will be the beacon seed of Christ. We will be rewarded for living for you. 
And because you forgave our sins, and now all we need to receive is blessings because all spiritual blessings are found in you, Christ. And so we worship you now. We bless your name. And may you just continue to do that work in our hearts. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.